Man with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And use the area code here in Baton Rouge, which is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Anywhere you may be, and we sure wish you would. We always like hearing people all around the country, all around town, wherever and you may be calling from. All around the world with the right <laughs> uh, world code. code. That's right. That's right. That's pretty simple. These days and age. Yeah, that is. <laughs> we were talking last week a little bit about cost and price uh-huh. and, and the difference. And right. I had a number of email that said, hey, I really like that topic and, and just something I hadn't really thought of before. One thing we did not touch on that I kind of wanted to, and one thing we see a lot, and that is folks will go and buy a cheap battery right. for their car. And a lot of people reason that, well, worst case scenario is going to go dead and I'll have to jump it off or I'll go jump buy it a new off one. whatever. Right. But that's really not near about worst case scenario. Oh, no. Worst case scenario is cheap batteries usually aren't produced very well. The quality is not very good on them, and they tend to leak a lot. They tend to leak, and they're leaking sulfuric acid. Correct. Now, when sulfuric acid runs down on the body components of your car, it's going to cause immediate rusting because it's going to bubble the paint up, and it's going to start to rust the metal. Eventually, it'll rust the hole right through, but sure. that's really not the worst of it. If it happens to get down on, say, an air conditioning line, which is aluminum. As compact as vehicles are today, I've even seen the PCM, the engine control computer, right there underneath the battery. Yeah, there's one car, I don't remember which one it is, and the PCM is mounted directly under the battery. Correct. And so if the battery starts to leak, which they do, they they leak around the post. They leak through the caps, through the vents. Uh, They're just not sealed very well. It's not a very good design. And what happens, people will get on that terminal with a wrench, and they'll pull Uh really hard against it which warps that plastic where the seal is. Now, as it charges, it starts to bubble out there. Right. First sign is normally a corroded battery terminal. You see the terminal start to corrode a lot. And if you don't address that, and addressing it means replacing the battery. Right, not just taking in you, either replacing the terminal well, or cleaning clean, the cleaning clean the terminals the, all you want. The, if the acid's leaking on, they're going to continue to corrode. But you know, eventually, it gets on top of the battery, and then it starts to run down the sides of the battery. And if one drop hits an air conditioning line sure. it's going right through it oh yeah it's aluminum it's going yeah it takes just a matter of hours for that to dissolve that aluminum and, and eat a hole in it well now you got a huge repair bill on your sure hands. if it gets on the pcm or gets on the wiring horn i've even seen where i remember it was an old chevy suburban and the battery was over on the right passenger's fender up towards the front on uh-huh. the old models uh-huh and this battery started leaking it dripped down and it fell right on the right side steel line that where the brake hose go sure. at frame rail, ate sure. that line up, guy hits his brakes, pedal no goes. Brakes. Well, it doesn't go to the floor. You still got rear brakes. But if you ever try to stop a Suburban with rear brakes, <laughs> it's, it doesn't stop very well. It's a it ha- will stop. experience. It will eventually yeah. <laughs> roll to a stop. But, yeah, almost a life-threatening situation. Sure. Luckily, he did not hit anybody. He did have to run off the road to avoid it and did some damage to the front end. But We used to see that quite regular. Mm-hmm. I can remember back in the day fixing fixing a lot of those trucks. Because of that. Yeah, and, and like I said, battery acid is a very, very corrosive material. Now, when you go to repair this, first thing you have to do is go in and try, and I say try, to neutralize the acid spill. Mm-hmm. Because when it gets up in the seams of the body where two panels will say well together, there's really no effective way of treating that. I mean, you can put baking soda and water, and you can flush it, and you can scrub it, and you can as do what you can. As much as you can. But it's just a matter of treating. It's not necessarily a matter of curing. Because once that gets into body seams, it's, it's just pretty much it's over. in there. Yeah, yeah it, it, I guess you could go in and cut the whole panel out, but if you could do that, you might as well wait till it rust out and do it anyway. Well, and then, and that's the permanent fix for it. Yeah. You actually go in and you cut out the 
destroyed metal. Effective error. A back until you can get good metal. Mm-hmm. Then you start replacing the components back up from there. On components where you can do that. Where you can do that. Some you can, some you can't. Well, on, or some are not a cost effective to do. Well, on modern cars, they use a lot of high strength, low alloy steel, and you can't cut and weld it. Right. It has to be replaced as an assembly. It's designed to be welded in certain areas that are lapped over multiple times because when you weld it, you're going to weaken it. Mm-hmm. And HSLA or HSS steel, when you heat it to 2,000 degrees, it reverts to mild steel. Right. So, therefore, it's no and longer... steel melts at 2,000, so you can't weld without generating 2,000 degrees of heat. Mm-hmm. And that's why you'll see they've got spot wells in it rather than a continuous bead well because it has a heat effect zone around that spot well. They place them far enough apart where it's not a continuous line. And they put it in an area where there are multiple panels lap one atop the other. Exactly. To give it additional, strength. Yeah, additional strength in that area. And that's why you know, body shops and, and collision repair shops are supposed to know all this stuff. So you can't just go and cut that in the middle and, and just, just weld, weld it back, back together. together. Yeah, and you can't put a butt weld where a spot weld used to be. Exactly. You have to... Welded in the same spot it was welded before, and in the same method it was welded before. Right. It has to be back to that. That's the way the engineer designed that panel to withstand a. It's it's actually a crush zone, mm-hmm. and when that vehicle gets hit, it's designed to crush in a certain manner. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go in and you start cutting in different places and welding in different places, if that vehicle gets hit again, the crush zone is not going to operate the way it's supposed to, and therefore you could it could lead to a fatality. Yeah, I remember many years ago we were involved in a lawsuit where this guy had gone in and replaced some component. It was on a Ford Escort, I think, and he cut through the rocker panel. Uh-huh. Then rather than replace the entire panel with another HSLA reinforcement, right? he decided to just take a piece of pipe and run it down through that rocker panel to reinforce it. Okay. Now, the car was involved in a secondary collision. Obviously, it's not going to collapse in that area. It's not going to absorb the energy it should. And right. it was a really, really, really bad situation. And they called us in as an expert witness to testify as to practices in the industry. Uh-huh. And the guy ended up losing his business over it. I'm sure. His insurance paid up whatever it would pay, but I don't know if that was enough. Anyway, you just can't take it on yourself to modify these designs. And that's why when you have something like a battery leak, that can create a much, 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 much bigger situation. Sure. It's probably a perfect example of cost price where you saved $25 on a battery, and it costs you... A vehicle. Yeah. Or, or, or life. Or two, two or $3,000 sure. for the ramifications of this. So there are good products, and there are not so good products. And the actual cost that you're going to pay is always based on how good that product is. Mm-hmm. Because the reason quality always sells is because it's less expensive over time. Exactly. You know, people say, well, no, no, high quality costs more. No, it doesn't. High quality is always less expensive. Because when you look at the overall cost, it's going to last longer, it's going to perform better, it's, it's going to do what gonna, it's supposed to do, it's not going to break, it's, it's not going to cause other exactly. problems. So when you weigh all the factors in, the more expensive product is always going to be less expensive over time. And that's one reason why, if you look at cars, and the cars that are kind of known for being higher quality cars, mm-hmm. generally always sell for a little, a little more, more, but they still outsell the cheaper models by far. Sure. And it's because people have come to find out that, yeah, if I buy this car, I'm not going to spend an inordinate amount of money maintaining and fixing it. It's going to drive better. It's going to ride better. And when I get ready to sell it, I can get more for it. Exactly. Get more for it. So 
even though the price may initially be higher, the overall cost of ownership of this car is much, much, much less. less. And you'll see that a lot. If you look at the used car, I've always said a good indication of the true value of a car is to look at the used car market and see what that car sells for used. Because what happens, cars come back more or less to reality in the used in, car market. Right, about three years. In the new car market, a lot of factors the wow factor. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is new. Look how cool this is. Right. The, the three cars that the government had direct to right. satisfy. All that's commanded into the price of a new car. You know, a good example of that is you can look at, say, a, I'm not going to pick on them in particular, but say a Porsche. Okay. Because there's a huge wow factor with a Porsche. This right. guy has always wanted a Porsche. He just, you know, he goes and he pays $150,000 for this car because it's so cool. And it is. It smells yeah. great. It handles good and all that. But then three years later, it's selling for $60,000 or less or $50,000 mm-hmm. because now on the used market, it's come down to reality because the wow factor is gone. Right. And so, you you know, if that's what you want, if that's going to make you happy. Oh, by all means, yeah, go get it. God bless you. Just go ahead and do what you want to do. You, life's too short not to have the things you want. Can't go through all of life never having anything you want. I'm just saying you're paying a tremendous price. It has nothing to do with the value of that car. Exactly. Now, you look at. And I'm going to just, again, pick out, say, a Toyota Camry. Okay. And when I bought my Camry, I was looking for a three-year-old one. They sell almost as much as the three new years old do. as the new ones do. I know. In fact, I was able, you know, my niece works for Toyota, so I could get a better deal on a new one than I could to use one. And so I actually was able to buy a new one. And I told her, I said, baby, I'm really looking for a three-year-old. I said, Uncle Louis, those, they, yeah, they don't, we don't, they don't exist. <laughs> yeah, those cars are gone. Generally, the salesman who takes it on trade already has somebody who's uh-huh. looking for it. And it's it, already it, it, sold. It never even hits a lot. They're gone. Right. It's because they have a good reputation for being a low-cost, low-maintenance overall car right? that they can command a higher price. So if you look at the market, if you're looking at a used car to buy, look and see how much the used. Go and look up a three-year-old model of the same car. See how much it sells for relative to the new price. If it's a high percentage of the new price, it's probably a pretty good deal. Mm -hmm. If it's a low percentage of the new price, might want to look elsewhere. That's right. Hey, I see it's time for our first little break. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. If you ever plan to motor west... Mimi, your hair is so cute. Who cuts it? Oh, thanks. I got a guy for you. Here's his card. It just says Fallon. Oh, no. It's Fallon. Well, uh, Fallon doesn't have a number on his card. I know. Appointments with Fallon are referral only. But I must cut a lock of your hair. Deliver it to Fallon. He will put it under his pillow for a week, and your style and cut will come to him in a vision. Seems like old Fallon has quite a gig going. Today, everybody's got a guy. If you're looking for an automotive guy, think Agco Automotive. No complications, just quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And with ACO's general inspection, they complete an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so you can budget for the year and keep your car in tip-top shape. So, how much does Fallon charge for a cut? That will come to him in a vision, too. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at ACO Automotive. ACO, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. This is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between those, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. You know, before the break, we were talking about the things that a cheap battery can cause, and mm-hmm. something occurred to me while we were off the air just now, is vehicles are a whole lot more technical than they used to be, and 
the problem with a battery dying back in the day is, is the car didn't crank. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't a big deal. You went and got another battery, you put in it, cranked it up, and, and drove on. But after that, nowadays, battery dies, you lose a whole lot more information that that vehicle needs to run properly. Yes. You lose all your idle control. Uh, you learned idle. Some of your vehicles, you have to relearn the window auto up and down features. Correct. The sunroof. Sunroof. Uh, features, things like that. So it's not just... Hey, the car's not going to crank anymore. It's gotten to be a whole lot more. Well, now that, but the electrical requirements on a car are so much critical today. Whereas it used to be, you basically had a starter, which took eight to ten volts to crank, and as long as you had eight to ten volts, it was going to crank, and everything was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You had points, or later on, even electronic ignition, which could still operate over a fairly wide range of volts. Right. But nowadays, as soon as that voltage drops much below twelve, you can start throwing. ABS lights, trash control lights, Steering. all these lights are going to start popping on because these computers cannot operate. Mm-hmm. And on modern cars now, the alternator basically can run the car and charge the battery under certain conditions. However, it cannot subsidize a poor battery. A battery actually subsidizes the alternator. Right. What that means is when you are at an idle, that alternator is not turning very fast. You know, so the engine's only running five, six hundred RPM. So the alternator's turning very slow. It is if you have everything, if you have the air conditioning on, the headlights on, whatever. You're actually drawing energy you are from the battery. Drawing power out of your battery to keep the car running. It has to subsidize the alternator. Now when you get up and the alternator starts turning, you know, the engine starts turning two to three thousand RPM, now it can start to put some of this energy back. Mm-hmm. But at an idle, most cars the alternator is it basically just can't keep up. It's just turning too slow. There's too much electrical load. And this is all factored into the battery. That's why batteries are tending to get bigger and bigger. And, and cost heavier. more and more. They cost a lot more because a lot of them are... are They're the, doing a lot more. Well, the gel cell batteries aren't required in some of the newer cars. Right. Because a lead-acid battery just can't keep up. It can't cycle as much. And so they actually specify a gel cell i remember back in the day people would say well the gel cell batteries are great but it's cost so much so some people would opt for them but most people wouldn't well nowadays you don't necessarily have that choice no and not only that because used to be when you open the hood the battery was under the hood nowadays they're putting that battery everywhere yeah. i've seen them under the driver's seat i've seen them in the trunk i've seen them in a compartment between the two front seats mm-hmm. underneath the the floorboard i mean they're just stashing those batteries wherever there's room now because they've compacted everything so tight under the hood there's no more room for the battery well and spillage or leakage becomes a much bigger issue yes it does because if this battery leaks under the seat of the car you may not notice it until it falls out on the ground well and not only that those <laughs> and fumes, rips all the cables out those fumes are actually coming up through the cracks into the passenger compartment yes so those batteries have to be vented per uh and a vented battery is a special battery now because it goes in a certain application mm-hmm. so it comes with the it should come with the vents and the tubing and everything to put it back well if you buy the right one it does like it was but if you just go to a parts store and find one that'll fit then may or yeah, may not, you may not work. So yeah, you can end up with a, a real, lot of real bad situation. Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing great, sir. Doing great. Glad y'all are live and back on the air. It's good to not be listening to a podcast. <laughs> I'm right telling now. you. Uh, I had a question. I was getting on the interstate and there's a Jeep Renegade in front of me, and they kind of had to punch it to get out into traffic. Mm-hmm. And when they did, a, a puff of black smoke or 
something looking like that came out of their tailpipe. Is that something you should avoid, or is that something that's good to do every now and then to clean out the carbon, or what do you all think about that? Well, it just depends, David, on what was causing the smoke. If it's just carbon buildup because they normally put around, then it's really no big harm. I mean, I wouldn't take it to excess. I wouldn't run the engine RPM to 10,000 or anything, but... It doesn't hurt to push it a little bit every once in a while, and I'm reluctant to say that because most people are going to take that to me and uh-huh. do it all, all the time. It really doesn't even hurt when you're on the interstate occasionally just to drop it down out of overdrive and let the engine RPM come up. That way you can do it without having to speed because most cars are optimized where the RPM is probably only barely over 2,000 when you're at 70 miles an hour. Now, obviously, you can't drive 100 miles an hour, but you can drop it down out of overdrive or even drop it down in the third gear, which will bring the RPM way up relative to the mile per hour. And you can leave it there for a few minutes just to you know let the engine breathe if, if that's the goal. Other cases, what happens if you've got, like, say, a anything leaking into the intake? We see this a lot on Chevy pickups. They had a real problem on some of the Chevy pickups where the master cylinder would leak into the brake booster. And what would happen, the fluid level would go down, the brake light pop on. Well, people would just top it off. But that extra fluid is going into the brake booster. And when you get enough in there, it starts, because that's vacuum operated, it gets sucked into the engine. And the first sign is you would punch it, engine vacuum would drop down, this fluid would back up, get in the hose, and it would hit that catalytic converter, and it would just puff a huge puff of smoke out. Now, that's a dangerous situation because you have to fix the original problem or you could take the catalytic converter out. Another one is where a coolant leaks into the intake, and when that coolant hits that catalytic converter, it's going to just shock it, and it blows a huge puff of smoke out so on most modern vehicles a big puff of smoke is not normal because the catalytic converter should be getting rid of that so i would be alarmed if i saw that just want to get checked good and make sure something else isn't going on that i'm unaware of okay and so from the i guess how the vehicle learns how you drive how does that affect that does it make the engine use more gas to try to drive like that more often or well if if you do it over a certain if you do it over a length of time then it will learn, hey, this is the way this car is being driven, and it's going to make the modifications to be driven that way. Yeah. But if you do it every once in a while, it just sees it as a point in a graph. Yeah, if there. you graph it out, it's just a high point in the graph, and More overall less. time, it really doesn't affect the the tuning. Yeah. It, okay, great. It's going to basically see it as an outlier and just yeah, not ignore it's, it, but it's just going to average out such a small amount that it's not going to affect anything much. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. All right, Dave. All right, sir. Thanks, Carl, man. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number if you want to give us a call. We'd be glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. We were talking a bit about batteries leaking, but right. of course we take a call on any topic you may have. That we will. That we will. That is a good question about the learned behavior because what happens is if you drive and I'm just gonna use the word aggressively okay. as just a general term, but if you drive aggressively, what is going to happen is that the car is going to see that. It says this guy accelerates a lot he does this so it's going to move the shift points on transmission up right to make more power it's going to bring rpm up it's going to do a lot of things to make more power because that's that's the way it's being requesting conversely if you drive very gingerly you just kind of coast a lot and Mm -hmm. you do not accelerate excessively then what is going to happen is that the vehicle is going to learn okay this is the way you drive and so therefore it's going to optimize itself for fuel mileage correct and I've always been amazed. People will spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars to get a car that gets five miles a gallon more mileage. 
but they can get the same thing just, just by, by changing, changing driving their driving habits. style. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're very attuned to that. They're going to watch the way the driver drives. And a lot of cars have buttons where you can push, uh-huh. where you can memorize multiple things. There's this kind of performance mode, sport mode, economy sport mode, mode, economy mode, normal whatever. mode, right. And that just, it because computers' memory has gotten so cheap, they can put multiple modes in there. And so if you want to punch performance and get more performance, it'll do that without sacrificing the other mode. Now, not all cars have that, but a lot of them do. Some of them do. And I always keep mine in the economy mode because mm-hmm. I'm more concerned with that than anything else. Let's see. Go back to the phone lines. We've got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, sir. How's it going over there? Doing oh, wonderful, sir. I just want to make a comment about installing the battery. I find I've seen at a battery place where they install the battery in a dump truck and beat the post down, Ooh. the uh, cables mm-hmm. down on the post yeah. with a pair of pliers. Yeah, that's sure. And Gun- I believe a lot of the problem with batteries leaking mm-hmm. is that. Absolutely. The installed. Absolutely. No question about it, Bruce. Even when you put a wrench on that nut on the terminal, on the if you yank real hard and nothing is holding that nut, you, know, you can break the seal doing that. You just warp it. It's pushing against one side yeah. of that hole. So yeah, you gotta have a backup. On you you want to you know, back that up. I remember when the uh, side post batteries were popular, mm-hmm. and the cables actually had a riser on them on a, the plastic where the plastic would push up against the back of the case. Right. And if you tighten the nut down too tight, it would actually pull the terminal in the battery itself and break the seal. Right. And they would leak. Yeah, you can definitely destroy even a good battery by installing it improperly. Yeah, and at the price those things are today, oh yeah, you ruin one. They, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, they don't give them away. No, no. It's, it's nothing for a battery to be over $100 now. Shoot, I've seen a lot of them, 200 two, more. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got an F-150. Well, y'all checked it out just before we went out of warranty. Uh-huh. And that, that battery was like $120. Yeah, right. They can't get. Yes, yes. Of course, wow. I took your advice. I changed them about every three years That's anyway. right. That's right. right. That makes good sense. It just you know, That way you don't have to worry about getting broke down somewhere. And it does make a difference when you change them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, thank you, man. All right, Bruce. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, take our second quick little break. We'll be back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. Linda, I've been so tense lately. Can you recommend a masseuse? Oh, have I got a massage guy. Johan Thundercloud. He's Swedish Native American who uses classic deep tissue massage with natural healing methods. That sounds interesting. His deep tissue green pine cone massage is amazing. Along with the piercing eagle claw technique. Working your muscles with a rhythmic screech. When you hear that, you know it's working. I bet. It seems everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for an automotive guy, check out the team at Agco Automotive. We keep it simple with high-quality maintenance and repairs you can trust. And don't forget about Agco's general inspection, an annual checkup to diagnose problems and schedule maintenance so your car will perform for the long term. One thing, though. Do you bleed easily? What? Johan will want to know. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Carey. We sure appreciate you spending Saturday morning with us. If you got a question or a comment about the show, you give us a call. They'll try to help you out and chat you up and point you in the right direction. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning, you can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You just click the button, and a little form is going to pop up. 
fill it out and hit the send button. There you go. Could be easier than that. One last thing I want to say about overall lowest cost, and that is it's not always the point of buying the most expensive thing. You have to look at the way you're going to use it. Correct. For instance, if we've got a tool at the shop or a piece of equipment at the shop and it's mission critical, you have got to have this to operate. An air compressor, for instance. When the air compressor goes down. The shop goes down. The shop so goes down. Point, or at, very, very, at very, very least, it, everything is compromised a huge amount. In this case, I've got to have the very best, most reliable compressor I can ever have. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say we've got a piece of equipment that it's nice to have. Maybe it makes it a little easier or a little cleaner to use, but it's not mission critical. And we use it very rarely. Now, the difference between a cheap one and a good one could be several hundred dollars. Right. Under those conditions, it makes sense to buy the cheap one because you're just not going to use it that much. Or you use it once. or Use it once or twice. Right. I know uh, engine stand is one example. We just hardly ever use an engine stand. Most modern engines, when you pull them out, the whole engine transmission assembly comes out. You can set it on a bench and do what you need. Occasionally, you'll work on one of the old rear-wheel drive V8 engines, and you need an engine stand. Right. We use this thing maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. Right, so there was no reason to go out and buy a I very could, expensive one. I could one buy that, a snap-on engine stand, which is a wonderful piece of equipment, and it probably would cost $2,500. Or you can buy a cheap one for, for 80 bucks. Yeah, 200 bucks, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Because of the infrequency with which we use it, and because of the fact that if we don't have it, we can still do the same thing. We can screw some bolts in the back and stand it up on its end. I, it just doesn't just, make sense to spend the more money because I'm not going to gain use out of it. Exactly. Another, now, if we were using that piece of equipment every day, every day, day long, for every every job we did, then, yeah, we would rethink the idea. But Yes. So but, it always have to factor in your usage. Whereas if you've got a car, and let's say it's 20 years old, it's in pretty rough shape, and you're just looking to get a few more years out of it, get another year out of it, whatever, and the taillight assembly gets broken. Mm-hmm. Well, you can buy an OEM taillight assembly. It may cost you $400. You can probably find an aftermarket one for 40 or 50 bucks. Sure. Now, the quality's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. It's not going to last as long. It may not even, the, the color of the lens may not even be the right. same. But in this instance, it's willing to accept those. Uh huh those problems because it's just so much less expensive even if you have to change it a couple times you can still be dollars ahead sure it's not going to create other problems not likely now take that and look at like an engine running component where it can affect other things well now all of a sudden the equation changes now you got to have the better part the more expensive part so it's not always just buying the most expensive thing you have to look at you have to honestly look Mm -hmm. at the overall thing and a lot of times what people do is they have one thought process in mind when they buy it, but then it evolves into something else. Well, sure. now it's too late. You sure. can't go make the change. And most people do that when they buy a new car. You they know, do. They look at a new car and they say, well, I'll keep it to 100,000 miles. Then I'm going to get not going to do very good much maintenance on it, and then I'm going to get rid of it. But at 100,000, they don't have the money to call for, for another one. Exactly. And it's been the maintenance has been lax, so the car is probably in pretty bad shape. Yeah. Now you're going to spend a whole lot of money to catch it up, and you're not ever going to get it completely back like it would have been if it had been maintained all along. Exactly. So you're going to have residual problems. It's just too, you know, once you've made the decision to go down this road. you got to stay with it. You're going to go down this road. <laughs> <laughs> I tell people a lot of times with air conditioning, they'll come in, and it's the end of the summer. summer so the air conditioning is broken. It's a fairly big repair. They say, well, I'll just wait the next year. So now, wait a minute. Okay. You, what you got to remember is at the end of next year, all this stuff's been sitting, not operating, not being lubricated, air in the system. This is going to be a bigger deal next year. Well, I'll just, I'll, I'm not going to fix it. I'll just live without it. That's, that's fine. That's a viable uh-huh. thing as well. But just remember, you can't change your mind. 
Right. Because to come so, back, you got to change every component here. You know, right now it's a compressor, or right now it's a condenser, or whatever. If you let it sit for a year with moisture in the system, that's not going to be the case. Right. And come next summer, you're going to change your mind. Yeah, this is especially not especially in South Louisiana. This is not a decision you can be able to change your mind on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, once, not easily. Yeah, not easily. Once you start down that road, you pretty yeah. much commit it. So. Yep. And. Just, some of those some of those components are ridiculously expensive to replace. Well, they are because it's everything. It's not like you can go and just change one part. It's all a system. It's all operating together. Mm-hmm. Any debris in that system is it's going gonna, to circulate. Right. So it's going to take out other components. So it's not ever just a matter of the one part. You know, it's like if you put a cheap compressor on your car. Let's say, let's say the clutch goes out on the compressor. All right. Okay. The system is okay. It's clean. There's no debris in it. You decide, well, I'll just change the clutch and the compressor because I can buy this cheap Assembly, here. Yeah. Cheaper than I can buy just a, a clutch on, on the other one. You stick it on there. It lasts about three to six months, and then that compressor comes apart because of a defective compressor. Well, now it's not a matter of just going to replace the compressor. No, now you have contamination the, all in the system. The condenser's full of metal. Yep. The expansion valves full of metal. The hoses, if they have mufflers in them. If they got mufflers, now we got to change every component because we have created a much, much bigger problem than mm-hmm. what we had originally. And some of those evaporator cores, I believe they hang by a string and build a car around them. Yeah, so because like I, I've watched Chris take the a complete dash out. You're actually looking at the back of the firewall yeah, oh yeah. to get the evaporators out of most cars nowadays. Yeah. And even if the evaporator's not leaking, if it has an expansion valve on it, some of those you have to remove the evaporator to get the expansion valve out. Mm-hmm. And because that expansion valve is going to close when there's no pressure on it, then you can't flush through it. You right. can't flush any debris out of it because it's closed. It automatically diverts to closed position. When the pressure hits it, that's when it opens up. Correct. So, yeah, you, so you, you can only have get, to pull right. the entire dash out to get this debris out of the system. Because that valve is between the evaporator and, and the, the firewall. And the compressor, yeah. Right. And what happens is that if you leave that in there, you put your brand-new clean compressor on there, you change the filter dryer, you put a new condenser. When, when that valve opens, opens, that little bit of metal that was sitting right down the front, whoop, right straight into the compressor. Yep. Now you're taking out a second compressor, so you got twice as much metal in there. So, yeah, there are decisions that you... It's, it's kind of like say, sorry, don't feed the bulldog. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just say, oh well, I'm sorry, I'm gonna change that and I'm gonna do this. Well, it's not that simple. A lot of times, trying to go back is gonna be much, much, much more involved. Well, and not and if if you go ahead and do it now, you're at the end of the summer. So most people are, you know, some people are gonna wait till the next spring to get the air conditioner right. fixed. Well, then you're gonna have a shop flooded with. Air conditioning work, right. you're going to be on a list, you're going to have to wait. Right now, the shop can probably get to it because the air conditioning work is starting to, to teeter off. Right. And now would be the, the great time to have it done, although, you know, when you think about it, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because you're not going to use it until you, until it's explained the way it's right. explained. Right. It makes a lot of sense to defray this undesired sure. cost. But just got to remember that when you do that, you may be creating other, other problems, problems inadvertently, you know, without thinking about it. You may be creating other problems. Yep. So, yeah, that's one of those things I always advise people. And like I said, most shops in South Louisiana, during the summer, probably 50% of their work is air conditioning work. Sure. So the, the volume of the shop just about doubles in the summer. In the fall, it starts to slack off because uh-huh. the air conditioning work tends to go away, number one. If it's a little low on charge or not cooling well, but still cooling, people don't tend to notice it as much. Right. You know, the first 95-degree day with 95% humidity, you're you'll notice, notice oh, whether yeah. that thing's working or not. 
very, very clearly. But when it's a lot cooler out, you're just not going to notice as much. So that work, for whatever reason, tends to fall off. That's a good time to actually get it fixed. It is. You can get in. You can get your choice of shops. You don't just take anybody who can who can who take can it. willing to work on it. I know a lot of times we'll get people because we have a pretty good reputation for doing air conditioning work because we do a good job with it. And a lot of times here it is the first of August and someone's calling man, I got to get my air conditioning fixed today. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, I just can't do it today. Every one of my guys are, are booked We're tied up. up. Yeah, for a week and a half. Yeah, and. So, well, okay, I'm going to have to find somebody else. And, you know, that's great as long as they find somebody who is who going to do, do a it proper correctly. job. But if a guy in the middle of August is not busy doing air conditioning work, there's probably there a reason. reason. <laughs> I know my dad used to always say, when, when you're driving around out of town, you're looking for a restaurant, you really don't want to go to the one with no cars out front. <laughs> <laughs> Makes all, sense. All the locals know about this guy. Yep. <laughs> Nobody's going there. Yeah. You want to go, go to a busy restaurant. You know, go to one that there's a whole lot of people in there. Sure. And uh, chances are you going to end up with a much, a much better, better experience. Situation. There's a reason why this guy doesn't have any business. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're going to take our last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. TJ, I've been looking to tone up, man. You have a personal trainer, right? Yes, I've got the guy, Mr. Miyago. <laughs> He's going to teach me how to wax on, wax off. Mr. Miyago's no joke. Oh, sorry. He begins by filling your shorts with wet sand to provide weight resistance and enhance focus. Then launches into a series of drills like crouching tiger hidden badger, fire monkey, flogging duck, and highly agitated dragon. Sounds kind of extreme. Yeah, bruh. Extreme results. Everybody's got a guy these days. And if you're looking for the right automotive guy, it's Agco Automotive. We make it easy. Quality repairs and a staff you can trust. And with Agco's general inspection, you get an annual checkup to diagnose problems that could cost you down the road. You will need to sign a waiver stating you are not allergic to pig intestines and live geese. I think I'm just going to hit the gym, TJ, but thanks. Get automotive peace of mind. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Automotive Hour, final section, and I'm Lewis Aldersland, President of Agco Automotive. Got our general manager, Mr. Brian Tier, right here in the co-pilot seat. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us calls, 291-6901. Had an email this week, and the gentleman was saying how he enjoyed when we talk about diagnosis and stuff in the shop. Uh-huh. Things that, you know, problems that we solved and whatever, and how you went about solving it. And you were saying we had a vehicle come in earlier this week, had to pull the intake off to replace the spark plug right put it all back together and he wanted to fire it up before he had everything back on the car just to make sure everything was good crank and die crank Crank and and die die. right and we went through the the normal things you know does it have fire does it have fuel Mm -hmm. does it you know is the compression right we went through all the all the the components first thing you would assume is well the theft system's on but it wasn't all that all that was operating properly well the way it cranked and died didn't implicate a yeah. theft problem okay. because it wasn't an instant die. It would okay. crank and it'd run a bit and then it would die. Okay. Well, usually a, a theft system yeah. when you crank, crank and die, crank and die immediately. Mm-hmm. And we went through all the normal procedures and when we got to the fuel pressure, we hooked the gauge up and noticed and turned the key on while the fuel pressure jumped right up where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And as the engine ran, the fuel pressure started dropping off. Right. And at that point, it was okay, we've got a fuel issue going on yeah, here. Yeah, but why? Why? Because it came in running fine. Exactly. So, yeah, and we'll talk about, yeah. a bit more about that. We've got Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Lewis. I'm looking I'm looking at Nissan, Hondas, and Toyotas to buy a car. Mm-hmm. 
any of those have, I've heard of people who have tires that can't be changed by anybody but the, but the man, but the, um, yeah, dealership. That, that's almost gone, Chris. That was back. Uh, Honda had used a tire called a Pax tire, P-A-X, made by yes. Michelin. It's a run flat type tire. Those could not be repaired unless you were PAC certified. And most shops, because it was such a limited market, just didn't get involved with it. Those are all but gone. That was a, that's mm-hmm. been many, been years, many ago. years ago. I want to say okay. eight, ten years ago or more. So if you're looking at a later model car, I probably wouldn't be too concerned about that. Uh, if tires is an issue, make sure that tire does come equipped. I mean, that vehicle does come equipped with a spare tire. Right. Because I know a lot of the newer vehicles do not come equipped with a spare. Yeah, you got to buy the spare as a separate. Any kind of spare? No. Even a some, donut they don't some have? have? Some, some of them have don't have anything. I know some of the Infinities do not come with a spare at all. That's an option you can buy if you want. Right. So you need to check well, into I, that before you yeah, purchase. Yeah, make sure of that. And, I, and, I appreciate that. And of those three... Uh, it, well, there's basically only three? two. There's basically <laughs> only two. <laughs> in our opinion. Yeah, in my opinion. I would not look at a Nissan just because they've had a fair amount of problems with those Again, in my opinion, uh, they have a lot of transmission okay. problems with them and some air conditioning problems with them, and, and that I would not consider it in the same class with the other two. Okay. Okay. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So anyway, we, we got the vehicle, and now- It came in running. Come in running. We just changed the spark plugs. So the first thing I could assume is you look at the fuel trim. Fuel trim is real- Real skewed. Yeah. It's, it's, it's skewing fuel. We've got to have a vacuum leak. Right. Maybe so, we didn't- Maybe we pinched the gasket on the intake. Right, so we pulled the intake back off, made sure, put it back on, tried to crank it again, same thing. Same thing. So smoke tested it. All right, we no leaks anywhere. Still assume we may have had a vacuum leak, so we hooked the smoke machine to it, filled the system full of smoke. No smoke came out of the the components around the engine anywhere. So we decided that okay, let's check fuel pressure. Mm-hmm. So, and the well, thing about it, we wasn't going to check fuel pressure, well, but. Because it didn't seem like a fuel pressure problem. Right. When you cranked it up, it cranked up and it ran a little while, and then it died. Well, you see, a lot of times what happens, people will check fuel pressure. They put a gauge on it, turn the key on, fuel pressure bumps. Okay, fuel pressure okay. Fuel well, pressure no, no, good. no. It's not. That's not a full fuel pressure test. Correct. You have to actually crank the vehicle and have it running to check the when fuel pressure the correctly. the problem is occurring, you have to look at the fuel pressure. Mm-hmm. And that may take, like you said, three to ten seconds. Now the fuel pressure starts to drop off. Right. So, okay, why is the fuel pressure dropping off? Well, first thing we think is we have power and ground to the pump because we do have fuel pressure. Right. So we can kind of eliminate that part of the the system. Right. Until we went to the wiring diagram. And in this particular vehicle, there is a fuel pump resistor that is actually part of the electrical part of the, the fuel pump. And what happens when you turn the key on, the computer sends 12 volts to the fuel pump. Straight to the pump. Runs the pressure up to max. Right. The vehicle to cranks, start. The vehicle cranks and runs. And as it's running to regulate the fuel pressure, the PCM uses this resistor to reduce the power to the pump so the power doesn't put out as much pressure. Mm-hmm. And inadvertently, that sensor had gotten, that resistor pack had gotten left unplugged. Right. It was on the cow panel, which you had to remove the cow panel to, pull to the access intake. the intake. And since he was just cranking it up without putting all the part, he wants to make sure it's running good before well, he puts it completely back together. That's a that's a big component to put back in right. that doesn't seem to be related to anything else you on would, the vehicle. You nobody you would, would have thought right that that this part, this particular part, and a lot of times techs will unbolt that part from the from the cow panel, right. and this is this it was easier to access the plug. Yeah, just unplugged it. Well, put the cow panel back on, plug it, it in, boom, cranks up, runs just Everything's fine. Everything's fine. So is see how much time you can waste. And sure. 
clearly because we had tooling and equipment where we could test these things. We didn't exactly. have to just start guessing. The average person has this problem, and if they got to the point where the fuel pressure is dropping off, the first thing they may want to do hey, is replace the fuel pump. pump. Sure. And now you spend a whole lot of money on something you didn't need. You're going to still do the same exact thing. Right. And you may have created an additional problem with a cheaper fuel pump. If you went and bought a cheap fuel pump from parts store, then you may have a, a way worse problem. Or you didn't get it put back in the tank right and get the seal put now back on correctly. Now light. you got an evap code. Right. It, it, it can snowball quick. That's right. But by having test equipment, you could check, you could smoke test so you could eliminate the, the vacuum, vacuum leak as a possibility. Sure. You could test the fuel pressure properly. And you know it was running fine, so the likelihood of a pump going bad is is very unlikely. Then you go to service data, and you look up the wiring diagram. How is this pump? How does this system operate? Yeah, what's different about this? What could possibly have occurred during this repair job? And now you see there's a bypass on it. Mm -hmm. And you know some of the old old cars way back, like in the 1950s and 60s, they had a similar setup where when you would crank the car. There was a little solenoid inside the starter solenoid that would close. Right. It would run full 12 volts to the points to give you more fire to start the car. Sure. And when it would start and you let off the starter, it would open, and then it would run through an ignition resistor and run lower voltage to keep the points from burning up. And what would happen is that little ignition resistor would burn up. Right. And it would crank and it would die. It would crank and it would die. Because it was getting fuel, vo- it was getting full voltage from the starter. Right. And then when you let off, you had no voltage at all. That's correct. And sort of a similar, similar system, setup. Totally different uh, way of doing it. You know, it's all done electronically now and mm-hmm. it was done mechanically, but sort of a similar sort of a setup. Sure. But it just goes to show you how you can run across these things. Even modern day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and this is just a sort of a unique situation because 99.5% of the cars that, if it has a resistor like that, it's mounted over on the uh, firewall or over on the fender, or on well, the fender well or somewhere, somewhere in the wire. You don't have cars. to access it. Yeah, you're not ever going to access it. You it never just, think because you're taking off the cow panel. Right. Just happened to be this one was attached to the cow panel and got disconnected during the service. Yeah, there you go. It just, some crazy <laughs> things like that's happened. Every once in a while, you know, you get bit by that. That's right. That's right. And it's bad enough in a shop where you got all the equipment to test it, but boy, when a do-it-yourself runs across that, sure, he can really go off on a tirade of spending money on what seems like logic, but it's really not. Exactly. And if you don't have a way to test, then all you can do is start changing stuff. Well, test, you got to test properly. Test properly. Well, I said so often we get people come in and they'll say they have a certain problem. I say, have you checked fuel pressure? Yeah, it's okay. Okay, tell me how you checked it. Well, I put a gauge in there, turned the key down on, and it, it jumped, jumped up. up to okay, well, pressure. Well, that's not a fuel pressure test. That is one type that's part of it. Of fuel press, one part of it. Right. But it's not a full test. There's way, way, way more information that can be gleaned. Exactly. When you're checking for a problem that occurs after a period of time, then you have to be checking when the problem is occurring. Exactly. And that's where fuel pressure, the correct fuel pressure check comes in. When you crank the vehicle up, it sits there. The, the pressure comes up to max or whatever the pressure is supposed to be. When you turn the key off, that is supposed to hold that pressure for so long. That's right. So much pressure over a period of a certain amount of time. Right. And if it can't do that, then hey, that that is a correct fuel pressure test. Now you know you've got fuel pressure leaking off somewhere. Right. You need to find out there's other the way tests that you have to the do way that the system that. works and see how does it have a regulator. Right. Does it not have a regulator? At all is it regulated in the pump? Does it regulate through the fuel rate? I remember we had a long time ago. We had some of these old jeeps and they'd be driving along. Everything was great, plenty of power and all that. And then all of a sudden they start sputtering and they die. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't start. 
they would sit there. By the time you went to get help, you got back, it would crank right up. It would run fine for two or three weeks. Everything was great, and all of a sudden, it would do, do it again. again. And what it was, the fuel pump in those would go bad in such a way that when it got hot, it would go to open circuit. Mm-hmm. And the pump would die. You'd lose fuel pressure, so the engine would die. And you'd have to tape a fuel pressure gauge to the outside windshield where you could see it. Exactly. And drive it until it occurred. And then you'd see the fuel pressure drop off. But people would just test fuel pressure. No, it's not the pump because it's okay. I checked it. It's got, it's got good fuel pressure. So they would change every All part of the car trying yeah. to fix it. And it would come back. It was actually the fuel pump. They just wasn't testing and when the, the problem was occurring. Yeah. So I see we're just about out of time. I want to get ready to get on out of here. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. I know iHeart, Stitcher, uh, I know there's a hand, uh, Podbean, Podtune, there's tons of them out there. Anyone you happen to listen to usually has a way you can give a review. Uh Those reviews will move us up in the ranking so more people can listen, more people listen, long we can do the show. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.